You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. March Madness is finally here. We didn't have one last year. So to fir- before we get into any topics, specifics about any of the games, I just want to get both your reaction to actually having a tournament this year because, of course, we didn't have one last year. The first one in two years. Coach, form- former Division One basketball player, what does this mean to you? I mean, it's to me, it's the best weeks of sports, period, besides the World Cup. You know, the World Cup nations and continents and countries come together. So that's like the biggest to me. But after that, you know, it's March Madness. And it's, it's not just because of the basketball games that are being played. A lot of people uh, just watch that sp- spectacular show on, on uh, Netflix called Last Chance You, where it followed East L- L.A. College. And the thing that made that show special wasn't the sports aspect. It was the stories. It was the personal connections with these different players and their backgrounds and what they have went through, what they're going through, and how they fought through adversity to reach the highest pinnacle of their sporting career so far. And that's what March Madness is about. I love when the reporters and the, the writers get to de- do a deep dive into these kids' backgrounds and these coaches' backgrounds and see where they actually came from and why they're at the level they're at now. And that's what makes it special. We all can find a piece of ourselves in a lot of these teams and a lot of these players. So for me, it's, it's the most exciting time of sports for myself personally. Chuck? Um, I think going off what Coach said is, I mean, hearing, you know, from players and coaches that we that don't really get, like, national attention is crazy. Like, when Loyola Chicago went on their Final Four run a couple of years ago, like, nobody knew who they were. And Sister Jean became, like, a national sensation. And I think also – by not having a tournament last year, I think that was when, at least for me, that's when we finally realized that COVID was a serious thing because there is millions, maybe even billions invested in this tournament. And for the NCAA to go about and cancel it, that's when like you knew that this was a serious thing and that this wasn't just something that's going to blow over. So having it back is going to be nice between everything that we've been through over the past year as a country, as people, just having some sort of, like normalcy in our lives is going to be fun. I've been watching March Madness for as long as I can remember. There's been ups and downs. You you hear about all these crazy storylines. You wonder who's going to be the next uh, Cinderella story. So having it back, uh, I'm hyped. I'm hyped. I've looked at the bracket maybe like 200 times. I haven't completed mine yet, but I'm hyped that it's back. Listen, just the fact that we didn't have one last year just makes this one even better and more appreciative. We haven't had one in two years. And the thing about March Madness that different from any other sport or any other sporting event, no matter what sport you follow, it's pretty easy to at least predict who's going to be in the title contention, who's going to be in the Final Four in, in any in any sport. All the NBA fans, that's my sport, NBA. I mean, you could pretty much predict who's going to win the title or be in the finals almost every single year. The Super Bowl the Super Bowl is regarded as one of the, if not the greatest sporting event that this country has. And then that's another thing that you could almost predict who's going to be in contention at least. Baseball and hockey, not as much to the same extent. But March Madness, if you don't follow college basketball during the season, you always tune in for March Madness. Talk about no idea what's going to happen. No matter how much you know, Womack thinks he knows college basketball. He does not know. Nobody knows what is happening. We could see Gonzaga go out in the first round like Virginia did a, a, a few years ago. Duke, it was it was getting to the point where people thought that it was going to be uh, Duke or the field. And they almost got knocked down the rounds of 32 and then ended up getting eliminated in the Sweet 16. So just the fact that there's so many upsets, nobody knows what's going to happen, and it's so unpredictable is why I just think this 
like game, like this tournament is so special. But to start off, again, speaking about upsets, I want to talk about who should be on upset alert of the top teams, maybe a top five seed should be on upset alert in the round of 64, or even or any other number one seeds on upset alert. Coach, start with you. I hate to say chalk. I don't see any number ones being pushed in the first round. I, I, I just don't see it uh, because of the matchups. Um, uh, I think those first rounds uh, upsets aren't going to happen. I don't think we're going to see a UMBC uh, take out Virginia like we saw a couple years back. But I know Charlie is going to talk about it as well. He's a hot name. He's like the Cinderella of the dance this year, and that's Jason Preston, who's at Ohio. He's a heck of a guard. I've watched Ohio play extensively this year. They That's a good conference. The MAC, single A MAC, is a very good conference. Teams like Toledo, Kent State, Bowling Green, uh, Buffalo, who they actually beat in the championship, was predicted to win their league the entire year. And Preston has rose to the top of a lot of people's minds as, as being like that Damian Lillard type player. So. Virginia, I think they have an upset alert in their first-round matchup. They haven't been playing extremely well. Uh, it's going to be on how Preston, Ohio handles playing a, a pack line defense as opposed to playing a defense that's up and in your in your space that allows you to have driving lanes. It's going to be a matchup of styles. And if Preston and those guys can handle Virginia's pack line and slow methodical defense, I think that's a good look for an upset if you're looking for one in the first round. Chuck? I think I'm going to go with the obvious one, and I think Villanova gets upset in the first round. After they lost Connor Gillespie, they haven't looked the same at all. They got bounced in the Big East tournament by Georgetown, which I think we all saw coming. So I really see them struggling. I can't see them going far because he, he's their glue guy, and I don't think they have enough depth scoring-wise past them to overcome his loss. Um, I don't think any of the one C's are going to get upset early on. Uh, the one C that I could see getting upset first is probably Michigan. Once the livers went down uh, in the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament, he's got the stretch fracture in his right foot. Uh, he's another guy where now they're going to have to go through their freshman center uh, in, uh, in Dickinson. I don't know if he could carry the load like that. It's going to be a lot for a freshman to come in and handle, you know, and have a, an entire offense basically run through him. So I'm curious to see – what Jawan Howard does, you know, going forward. Uh, they got bouncing the semifinals by Ohio State in a really good game. So I think Michigan could probably be the first one seed to be eliminated. Spe speaking about upsets, a lot of people are trying to talk about Georgetown uh, upset, upsetting Boulder. I've heard that a lot. And again, Virginia is a big one as well. Virginia is regarded though as a top defensive team in the country. Is that something to take into consideration that you could hold opponents to, they're, they're holding opponents to about 60 points a game. Is that something that you could look at and take momentum into the tournament? Or just the fact that it is a one game elimination. It's really all about who's hot, not necessarily who's had the best season, who's scoring the most. Because we know, I think Baylor's up there with the most points in the country. Gonzaga's up there with the most points in the country. So is it more just who's hot, getting hot at the right time, like we see in like uh, like baseball, for example, or is it really just a match of the matchup and who anyone can have a bad day at any given point? What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I I, I really think uh, Virginia was top five defense the year they lost to UMBC as well. There's something about when that game starts. And if you're a lower seed, all you're doing is saying, let's play this five minutes. Let's let's be even or be down by six with five minutes left. End of the first half, let's be in striking distance. 
as the tide turns in the second half, there is no more pressure on the lower seeds. The higher seeds feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. You start thinking about who got upset. You start thinking about what you going, you did wrong, and those shots stopped falling. Virginia was a top five defense, like I said, the year they lost to NBC. So it is all about matchups. You got to look at the committee and see who they match up against. A team that I, I say always gives fits in the NCAA tournament, no matter how good or bad they are, is like Syracuse, because it's tough to prepare against their zone in three or four days. So imagine beating someone on a Friday night and then you got to play them on a Sunday and you only get to spend a day. And, and mind you, these teams are going to have limited on the court time due to all the teams playing in Indianapolis. So it's not like you get to have a, a legit practice or shoot around. You're going to have to do some hotel shoot arounds or, you know, common space area shoot arounds. So teams like, you know, like I said, San Diego State's defense is very, very good. Virginia pack line defense, Syracuse two, three defense. Uh, those teams are going to be tough to prepare against with limited time in between games. Uh, I, I, I agree with Coach. I think having not having the time, the practice time is going to affect teams. Also, the lack of crowd size is going to play a huge part also. You know, how many games have we seen throughout the course of college basketball where a lower seed, you know, starts off hot and then the crowd starts to get into it and then you know the top seeds on the ropes and they they don't know what to do uh in virginia's case yes they're very very good defensively they've always had been that's been their identity but what they struggled with this season is scoring i don't think they've had the scoring um that they've had in past seasons they lost a lot of their veterans either you know graduated or went on to play in the in the pros so th that's what i worry about virginia um, what else? I, and back to the COVID thing, I think, you know, teams are going to be, they don't have time to, to, you know, sit and watch film. Uh, coaches were saying this past weekend that when they went to watch film, they weren't, you know, in, in the locker room or whatever, they were sitting in classrooms that they could socially distance, uh, teammates were socially distanced as well when they were eating and whatnot. So it's going to be very intriguing to see how teams are going to put everything together. And then if a, a positive case comes about, you know, what happens then? Like, what happens if you lose, you know, God forbid, a star player because of a positive COVID test? Then what does a team do? Do they, do they you know, look down their bench and, you know, put a, a true freshman in who's only played maybe four or five minutes throughout the course of the entire season? So it's going to be very intriguing every matchup. Speaking about the COVID situation, Kansas, I think, has until tonight to figure out if they're playing. I don't know the full details. Do so you guys want to elaborate on that a little bit, what their situation is? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, reports came out earlier. Kansas will be, uh, I think they're cleared. They passed protocols. I think they'll be arriving on Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Virginia was in the same situation. Uh, I think they're arriving on Friday. So, again, you know, teams usually arrive in the NCAA tournament two days before you play. You know, you get the chance to practice in an outside facility, and then you get a chance to have a shoot around in one practice on the actual court that you're playing in. Some teams aren't going to be able to see it. So, I mean, it may help because, you know, sometimes people play better when they don't have all the hoopla around them, but it may hurt some teams as well. Um, with a team like Virginia, I would say, you know, the thing that they can rely on is some of these players have experienced success and have experienced the tournament already. So maybe they're more at ease with a situation that they're going into. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's why they have those four, quote, unquote, uh, replacement teams ready 
and they have to do protocol just as fast because if something changes within a day, we all know. I've seen games change this year on the day. I mean, Syracuse flew to Louisville, did a shoot around at 11:30 a.m. The game was canceled at 1 p.m. due to a positive case. So anything could happen at any moment. With the no home, this not necessarily you don't have that home court crowd behind you. There's no fans in the stadium. So as much upsets as we've seen in March Madness. Is this year even set up for more upsets, given there's not even a real, a real home crowd advantage with that? What do you guys think about that? Well, in a way, I think the tournament is basically set up like how we thought it was going to be set up last year, where, yes, you do have your top teams in Zaga, Illinois, Baylor, but when you really think about it, some of these mid-major teams could definitely go on a run. There are some really good teams out there. Like, I was just looking over the bracket once again before we came on, and, like, there are teams where, like, yeah, like, th- this team can go on a run. And like Coach said, Ohio can go on a run. Winthrop can go on a run. San Diego State, Utah State, you know, just rattling off teams. I think there is no clear-cut number one team that we've seen in the past, like your Kentuckys or your Kansases or your Dukes. And not having Duke and Kentucky in the tournament is mind-blowing, by the way. But I think we are going to see a lot of upsets this year, especially with everything going on. I think teams bonded more this year than any other time because all they had basically was their teammates and their coaches. And, you know, hearing, you know, teams like St. Bonaventure, they, they only have five juniors in their starting five. They don't have any seniors, but yet they talked about, you know, you know, living together and how that helped them both on and off the court. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that transfers over to the tournament. Coach. I mean, most, most definitely like no crowd, uh, can go either way. The crowd works sometimes for the, like anytime Duke or UNC played in the North Carolina region or Syracuse played in the Northeast region, or, you know, you had UCLA or Oregon playing in the West, Gonzaga always playing in the, the West region, it helped them. But also for, for like Charlie said earlier, when you're an underdog and, you know, usually in the arenas, there would be like four or five fan bases and every fan base would root against the higher seed unless it was their team playing. So what you would get is like four fan bases all rooting for UMBC the day they were playing Virginia. Like after they show that it could be a game, then those guys start rooting for the underdog. So underdogs are going to have to build their own energy. But like, like Charlie alluded to earlier, teams have went through it this year. Coaches have built their benches. If you take a look and look at the benches from last year and years before to this year, a lot more energy on the sidelines because coaches realized that they were going to have to create their own energy going into these matchups in these, this season. Yeah, I, I definitely could see more upsets. Momentum is a thing in sports. The people who don't think that momentum is a thing in sports probably have never played or really never had the experience. When a team is hot and a team's rolling, your chemistry builds, and you feel good going into any opponent possible. But the thing is, I don't think momentum may last a whole game when you really are – actually playing i think the first quarter first half whatever you want to call it in this case it's going to just the first half that's when momentum is going to stick with you the most you feel good and warm so you feel good arriving to the arena and those first five minutes you get off to a hot start and you could carry that momentum throughout the game but once you get in the locker room after halftime and then come out then it's like now now it's all about what you could bring to the table if you could still consistently bring what you did you do to the table what you did in the first half that's where I'm, I'm at in terms of momentum but again teams feed off a crowd's energy 
When you hit a three and the crowd goes nuts with student sections going out of their mind, you feel it. Maybe athletes may not show their emotion, but if the ones who have played sports in their past feel a home court advantage. So I think this is just as much as an opportunity to see even more upsets than we have in the past. Sure, there's not necessarily the Dukes or the Kentuckys in terms of the number one seed, but Gonzaga is technically the number one seed. They are a heavy, heavy favorite to win the tournament at plus 175. The second next favorite is Baylor at plus 500, and that's a pretty big difference. But I feel like year after year, no matter what the circumstances, the top seed, like, there's obviously four number one seeds, but the true number one seed never wins the tournament. People are trying to get at that, oh, Duke is the clear favorite. It's like, are you better off picking them or the field? And I think that's just ridiculous to even think of a tournament like this. They almost got bounced to UCF and had every luck of the miracle. Zion misses a free throw. RJ Barrett gets a late game tip in. Questionable calls about Taco Fall fouling out. Virginia gets bounced in the first round when they were the true number one seed. So what do you guys think about Gonzaga? Or should we really be like it's Gonzaga versus the field? Should they be really be the favorites to win? And will you pick them to win? What do you guys think about Gonzaga? Uh, first off, I just want to say that I don't appreciate all the Duke slander that, that you've been given throughout this broadcast, being a Duke fan and all. I know we're not in a tournament, but, geez, give me a break. <laughs> um, Listen, I've watched Gonzaga a lot this year. I think they're phenomenal, and I have a feeling that Coach might disagree, but they're so good. They're so good offensively, and it's going to take a team that could probably needs to put up you know, 80, 90 points in order to defeat them. I think they're the clear-cut winner. They crushed Iowa. They crushed Villanova. I think their gimmick against Baylor got canceled because of COVID earlier on in the year. But they could score between Suggs, Kispert, uh, Tilly. They could – those dudes can ball without a doubt. They're probably going to have, you know, maybe three lottery picks, I believe. So I really like Gonzaga. I, I Right now they're my pick to win it all. Um, but – I really can't see anybody beating them. I really can't. I don't know. I have a feeling that coach is going to disagree, but I really like Zaga. We we said that about Duke though in 2019. That no, how, who could beat them? It's them or the field. Zion Barrett. I mean, they were stacked. And again, they almost got bounced in the round of 32. And you also have to not only think about momentum, you also have to think about pressure. They feel the pressure that they are expected to win. Lower seeds and even some top three to four seeds are not expected to win the tournament. Like, Gonzaga's expected to win. Duke was expected to win. Virginia was expected to win. That's the pressure Gonzaga has on them. Sure, they put up 92 points a game, which is ridiculous, which leads the country. All it takes is one bad shooting day. All it takes is a bad start to a game. A lower seed gets momentum, gets hot. Then the pressure builds on them more. They have pressure on them to begin with just because they are the top seed in the tournament and the best team in the tournament. So you're not going to think pressure is going to play a role of that? Coach, what do you think about that? I mean, pressure is definitely going to play a role. Uh, uh, and, and also, uh, the thing about Gonzaga is the only other school that made it in the tournament that they played against in the last 20 days is BYU. You know, that's the only school from their conference that made it to the tournament. And we've seen, and as much as I love Gonzaga, we've seen this story uh We've seen the story before. You know, I think they're talented. The matchup that I, I know Charlie said they crushed Iowa. They did not crush Iowa. The score, first half, they crushed them. Second half, Iowa adjusted. Joe Toussaint, point guard from out of Cardinal Hayes in, in New York, uh, really gave him an extra boost because he had to push the tempo. 
and they they I think Iowa won the second half. It's just that poor start down 13 to 14 in the first half that cost them. And look what the committee does. That's why I tell you, it's all scripted. The committee puts Iowa in the same bracket so we can get that Sweet 16 matchup. It's all Elite Eight, might be Sweet 16 or Elite Eight matchup between Iowa and Gonzaga. And then you got to look at Iowa. They just went through the gauntlet. Look who they had to play in the last two and a half weeks. You know, they've had to play the teams that are right below Gonzaga and prepare, you know, for this tournament. So it's like, will the two warm-up games be enough to give Gonzaga a wake-up call? Because I watched, I don't know if you watched, you probably watched Charlie and Brandon. I know you don't watch too much college basketball. You follow it, but you don't watch a lot of it. Um, If you watch Gonzaga play in their conference tournament, um, they had a scare. They had a scare. I mean, they had a real scare. BYU looked like they were going to stop that undefeated season. And it took a Gonzaga amazing run to start the second half in that conference tournament to, to really create some space. I've seen them st- take their foot off the pedal. You still got Suggs, who's a freshman point guard, who, like, now you're playing against seniors. Seniors and some of them who've been to the tournament already. So if you ask me if I was going to put money on it and you say Gonzaga on the field, obviously I'm going to take the field. Because I just feel it's so many unknowns. And then if they, if like, I would love to see Florida State Gonzaga for a chance for the national championship. Like, those are the matchups. You know, Florida State, they got bigs. They got guards who could switch one through five. They could put Scotty Barnes at the one, and now he's on subs. You know, they got, you know, shooters. Like, that's the matchups that you get into where it's like, all right, no disrespect, but you're not playing St. Mary's. You're not playing Pepperdine. You're not, you know, those are good schools. I mean, I mean, mind you, I played at St. Francis, so I'm not trying to diminish a mid-major, but I'm just saying now you're playing against three or four guys who are going to be at the next level in the NBA just like you and with a lot of pressure because you're undefeated in the season, and that is in the back of your head. So I'm taking the field, but I can't disrespect Gonzaga. I mean, amazing team. They do have the the weapons to cut down the nets in the next month, next two weeks, excuse me. John? You know, I'm happy you brought up the BYU game because I think what happened in the conference final made me believe in Gonzaga even more because this was the first time that they got punched in the mouth. You know, they were, I think in their last like 20 games or whatever, they they won them by double digits. So this was the first time where they faced that adversity. And I think that's going to be big going into the tournament. And we saw that they got right back up and they started to punch back and they eventually won. So I really like that from Gonzaga. Obviously, you know, I, I I would probably take the field too. We're putting money on it just because of how this is a one and done tournament. It's not like a series where, you know, over the course of seven games, a team could start making adjustments and then the better team will end up winning. So I'll take the field in that regards. And I think what we've seen in the past with the tournament is that it's become a game of runs like throughout the game is who who can go on a run at what time of the game and how does that affect? And can you stop the run? Like when the big 10 championship happened, Ohio state went on a run and then Illinois came back and they went on a run and it kept just going back and forth with runs. And eventually uh, Illinois won. So I, I think by not having crowds to feed into that, it's going to be easier for teams to stop the run because you can call timeout. You don't have the crowd, you know, going crazy in the background and whatnot. And it gives the coaches time to, you know, settle down, fix up the defense or whatever, you know, is happening maybe on the offensive end. So I think not having the crowds could affect how the game is played. Speaking about Florida State making the national championship, I want to talk about Scotty Barnes real quick, Coach. I know you follow a lot of players individually. He's regarded as a top player in the country. 
is there a lot of pressure on him to really take Florida State to the championship and potentially win it? And is that going to affect his draft stock, how well he performs on the biggest stage? Because teams in the lottery may look at him, be like, that could be our franchise player. He has that type of talent and that type of capability. Do you see that with him at all? Do you, do you think he has more pressure than other players, given just what how high his ceiling is and how NBA teams may look at him in terms of drafting him? Um, I don't think he has that pressure. And the reason is he has a Hall of Fame coach, Leonard Hamilton, who's amazing. Like, Leonard Hamilton, he's going to have two guys go lottery in the last two years who didn't even start for Florida State. Scotty Barnes is the sixth man. Comes off the bench. You have to earn it. Nothing is given. And that's why Florida State has that kind of reputation. Hard-nosed guys, defense, team first. Scotty Barnes, they have one with Scotty Barnes having great games. They have one with Scotty Barnes having horrible games. He doesn't have to feel that pressure. And I don't. I think he already knows that NBA is all about projecting. You know, that's what it is. Like, players can make their name in the NCAA tournament, and but I don't think a lot of players who have projected draft status lose their names in the NCAA tournament because they're not looking at you for your three games. They're looking at where we're going to see you in three to four years in the NBA. You get what I'm saying? So I think Barnes understands that. He knows his role. I don't think he has that much pressure on him with the team he has around him. It's not like, like for instance, it's all about the teams you have around you also. Kade Cunningham, he cemented his status with the play in the Big 12 and taking Oklahoma State to that championship game because he needed to. He has to get 30 or 25 for Oklahoma State to win. Scotty Barnes can get 12, 6, and 6, look like a stud, get two big-time dunks, two great assists, and they're like, you know what? In three years, that guy is going to be one of the premier power um, combo guards in the NBA. Where Kade Cunningham is like, if he had 12, Oklahoma State loses by 20. So, you know, it all depends on where you're at and, and who's around you with the pressure that you're going to have when you play these games. I mean, this is a bigger sample size I think R.J. Barrett in 2019 was – people were trying to make the claim he was better than Zion Williamson at, at Duke. And then the tournament came, and he again, people said R.J. Barrett was better than John Moran. But John Moran had that monster performance in the round of 64. Do you think that kind of put Ja over the hump to get the be the number one two pick versus the number three pick? Or you think that was still pre-planned? Because it was still a debate for a while, R.J. or John Moran. And then obviously we see in the NBA what actually happened. I mean, I think that debate is because people need stories and they need to have debates. You know, everybody got to have 60 draft prospect lists to be out there so people could click it. And, you know, I'm all for it. Let people get their money. It's a job. And I think it's great to have as much people talking about it as possible. But, um, you know, when you got a guy who can handle the ball super athletic and is a guard, you know, RJ, if you talk to a lot of college coaches, John Moran clearly was the better player. Now, projected wise, you know, RJ, they thought he could become uh, uh, just as good of a player because he's six seven. his length, his toughness, his strength. You know, where is he going to go in three or four years? But you see, Memphis needed a – they needed the standalone player. They needed somebody that you could just put out there and he's going to give you 25 and 5. And that's what John Morant is and that's what John Morant was. Um, so, um, you know, we're going to get someone at this tournament. Look, a perfect example. Uh, how good is Luka Garza? How good is Luka Garza? If Luka Garza has two bad games in the NBA – I mean, in the, in the tournament, is it going to change his draft status? I think Luka Garza is a heck of a college player, but the verdict is still out on if his game translates at the next level. Where you have like a guy like Coffee Cockburn from, from Illinois, super athletic big man, 
who doesn't have the necessary skills like Luka Garza, but his name game might project a little more in the NBA. So, you know, I don't think like, like for guys, for us who talk about it, I think it's great. But for NBA personnel who have been watching 25 plus games and probably watch these kids, they were in the ninth grade. I think they got a good idea of which player is who and which fit is going to be good. And they're not going to determine it by one or two games, but I'll leave it on this. But if you have an amazing run, like I said, it can help your status. I don't think a bad game is going to put your status down. So for those who haven't finished their story, if they have a great run and go deep into the NCAA tournament and lead someone like a Jalen Suggs, if he averages 25 and leads Gonzaga to a national championship, yes, that boosts his draft status. But if Jalen Suggs has 12 in the first round and they get upset by a 16 seed, he would still be a lottery pick. He still will be a top five, top six pick, period. Chuck? I think Coach hit it right on the head, and I really liked how he talked about Luca Garza. You know, phenomenal player, should have been, probably could have been the national player of the year this year and last year. But, you know, questions are still out. Will he be a starting center in the NBA? Could he be, you know, maybe a post power forward? Or will he just be a backup center, you know, at most? The question is still out there on Garza, and, and we watch him, you know, every week play against probably what was the best tournament in college basketball this season. And in the semifinal against Kofi Coburn, like Coach said, Garza got eaten up by Kofi. So um, I think in a way, yes, you could have a great tournament. You know, Jimmer Fredette, you know, shot the lights out of the gym, especially during the tournament. And where is he now? He He's in China putting up 70 points a night, but he's not in the NBA. Steph Curry, you know, had a phenomenal run with Davidson back in, what was it, 09 or whatever. And look what his career has been. I think, yes, you could raise your draft stock, but it all depends on the fundamentals at the end of the day and what you could project to. Does Curry need to just put up, you know, 40 shots a game to do good? No, because he can come off off a screen and create his own shot. He doesn't need, you know, to be ball dominant. And I think that's what separated him from Jimmer. And I think in R.J. Barrett's case is teams just looked at it as if this guy could develop a consistent shot, especially from three, because being a Duke fan, I, I watched him. He was bad from three throughout the entire season. And, you know, he's, he's still a little bit in, inconsistent with the Knicks right now. So it's all about projections and what these and what these coaches and personnel, the front office personnel think these kids could become. Because remember, now we're in the era of the one and done and whatnot. So when these kids are drafted, they're still 18 and 19. They're still raw talent. You know, this isn't like back in like maybe like the 90s where, you know, you had your your four year seniors and now they're 21, 22. And they were able to transform their game throughout the, the college years. So I think I, and I, I agree with Coach 100 percent. You, you're going to be wh- where you are right now and a couple of games could raise your stock, but I don't think you're going to go from like, you know, a pick like in the thirties and then all of a sudden become like a lottery pick. Before we get into predictions to wrap up the show, I want to just talk about if there's one guy in the tournament you think has the most pressure, one player. So we know as a team, it's probably Gonzaga because of their expectations. One player who has the most expectations and the most pressure to really deliver. Not necessarily your team winning, but as an individual to really showcase himself and show out. Whether that is win the tournament or just show he deserves to be a higher draft pick. One guy in this tournament, who would you say? 
Coach, we'll start with you. That is a, a very, 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 very tough question. That's a good one. You must have learned that from journalism school up there in your studies, man. You got a good one out there. Um, I, I don't – I don't. I mean, watching this year, like I said, for me, because the way I view it, I, I watch so many games. You know, I watch so many college games. It's like I could literally pick up a phone and talk to an NBA GM and break down whatever player they're going to pretty much ask me for. So when there's so many players like that, I can name them a lot of them. But there is a kid that I think can become an NBA player if he has a good tournament. Because if he plays well this tournament and follows up next year as a leader, he will play himself into the draft. And that is Javon Quinley of Alabama. Quinley was first recruited by Villanova, couldn't touch the floor. This is when you got to look at it and you got to pay attention, kids. Pick your schools wisely. Choose the playing style and how you play. Quinley is a Essential New York, New Jersey guard needs the rock, needs to play in an NBA style pace, spread the floor, pick and rolls, isolations, and that's what Alabama does. That's what Alabama sells. If you want to play NBA style basketball, if you don't want your coaches calling the plays every second, Suge Knight voice, come to Alabama. Villanova is more of a system team. There's no sum that's better than all of its parts for Villanova. Everyone has to play together. Everyone has to fit the system, and he couldn't play at Villanova. He goes to Alabama. He was the SEC play most valuable player of the tournament. Do you get that? The SEC is not a knockover league. He was the most valuable player of the SEC tournament, but two years ago or a year ago, he couldn't touch the floor at Villanova. If he had, if Alabama, who is one of my dark horses, I love Alabama. It's just they're so hot and cold shooting from three. You don't know which team you're going to get. But if they make a run and Quinley can average 14 and 15 points this season and then come back next year and be on everybody's radar and perform up to expectations, he can go from high hype out of high school. I mean, he, they had a, something called Jelly Fan. The guy had like 505,000 followers on Instagram. Big hype coming out of high school disappointment to a lot of people knocked him and said he's done he has no career look he couldn't even play at villanova all that jelly fan was hype back to sec most valuable player in the tournament great story of humble beginnings high and lows javon quinley has a lot on the line this NCAA tournament in my eyes chuck this was tough and i just thought about within the couple minutes i had while coach Thankfully, took the floor first. Um, first, I want to say a coach that has the most pressure, without a doubt, is Mark Few, just because of the narrative behind Gonzaga of how they're always a good team, but they always choke come tournament time. And people are saying this might be the most talented team he's ever had at Gonzaga. So I want to see w- what he does, you know, throughout the tournament and being, you know, undefeated, one, number one seed overall. So I think Mark Few has a lot of um, pressure. Um, a player, it, it's tough, man. There are, I mean, you could really name anybody, but one guy that for some reason came to mind and maybe because I saw him play in person one time is Mac McClung out of Texas tech. Uh, he was recorded, not recorded, um, <laughs> recruited to go play at Georgetown with Patrick Ewing went through a couple of injuries, never really, you know, never really got his footing under him and he had a lot of hype. He was another kid, you know, who was on Instagram doing crazy dumps and people thought that, you know, he's going to be the next best thing and never really lived up to it. So now he goes over to Texas Tech, plays with Chris Beard. Texas Tech was a national championship team a couple of years ago and and McClung was a big transfer to come over and who people thought could really, you know, take the Red Raiders back to, you know, to 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 basically finish the job and win the national championship. So I want to see how he – I believe this is his senior year. 
he's had a pretty good season. Um, I know he's he's missed a couple of shots. And Texas Tech also, they've played a lot of close games. They've lost to Kansas by one. I think they lost to Baylor by two. So they they've been, you know, a team that's been right there but can't get over the hump over the hump. So I want to see if Mac McClung can take that next step, finally live up to the potential that we all thought he was gonna, you know, be and take Texas Tech on a run throughout this tournament. I just want to add for um and we talked about him earlier, so that's why I really didn't want to go into him, but I would be remiss if I didn't. Jason Preston, it's a big tournament for him. I mean, you the Mac is a very good league. Scouts follow the Mac. But he has an ability to kind of like have a Dame Lillard, Stephen Curry type effect if they could pull an upset early. I mean, this is a guy who grew like three or four inches, you know, gained like 30 pounds in college, and now he's on NBA radars. If they could get out the first weekend, he talks himself into the NBA draft. You know, he, he becomes a, a, a conversation. And in this year's draft, it's going to be very different than a lot of years' drafts because a lot of four-year seniors who are unsure have the – ability to go back to school because they gave everyone a year back. So there may be players who probably wouldn't get drafted usually that if they come out this year because others want to work on their draft status, get drafted. So Jason Preston at Ohio, if you guys could pull up an upset, uh, you know, you put yourself in a nice position. Do you think there's anybody in this tournament who can be a legit franchise player in the NBA that a team could build yourself around? Not an Anthony Edwards for some highlight dongs or Obi Toppin, like a legit prospect that you could be like, I could build my team around this guy, a Luka Doncic, a Trey Young, something amongst those lines. Is there anyone in this tournament you really think has that potential? Uh, I'm going to go with... Evan Mosley out of USC. I think he's a guy who's excellent on both sides of the ball. He has a nice jump shot. He's seven foot, you know, five billion. He's so tall on the court. He has excellent length, could defend the paint with ease. I think USC uh, had the lowest percentage of shots, you know, within the paint on defense, which is crazy. I think it was like 43% or something, which is really good. And I think he could really impact the ball on both sides. People right now project him to be number two overall behind Cunningham. So I think if he has a big tournament playing alongside his brother, I I really think that he might, he he could flirt with going number one. I don't think they will just because the NBA is kind of like shying away from bigs, but he's everything you want. in you know, a modern day NBA big could defend, could shoot. He he could even handle the ball a little bit. I really like his game. So I'm going to go with him. Coach. I mean, I've got to go with the person he talked about. That's right on right above him right now. Kyrie Cunningham. I think, Cunningham has an NBA-like game. Um, I see a lot of Luka Doncic and Kade Cunningham in terms of pace. He doesn't play too fast, doesn't play too slow, has the height and ability to shoot over smaller defenders. He's, in a, I think, one of the most isolated players in the NCAA this season. You know, he's, he's probably in the top 10 percentile of isolation plays ran for a player, which what is the NBA? Mainly isolations. You know, that's what it boils down to. He's a guy that, you know, is carrying one team in one of the biggest conferences. Like there is no other NBA prospect, clear NBA prospect on that team at Oklahoma State. Very good college players, very good coach, all on his shoulders. And the kid is 18, 19 years old. And he did it with the pressure of his brother coaching on staff and Oklahoma State possibly not playing in an NCAA tournament because they were still um, 
they were still arguing against the NCAA putting them on probation, which the NCAA allowed not to look at the case because Cade Cunningham equals lots of viewers watching the NCAA tournament. So they figured, oh, we're just not going to answer this one. Uh, but, I mean, Cade Cunningham, to me, you know, if you're looking at – and you follow the NBA more than me, Brandon, like who's top three in picks right now? I mean, the 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 T the T wolves are a bottom dwelling team. Um, I mean, I, it's it's. I mean, your, your typical. I mean, the the Cavs are always on the bottom. Who, who else? Who else we got? Um, the Pistons, the Magic. The, I mean, the Timberwolves have the worst record in the league. I mean, the Rockets are down there. If you get Cunningham to Orlando with the team they got now, you could put yourself in fifth place in the East. Like he, like I, I don't think. Necessary, you put them on a piss, even the Pistons, because the Pistons play tight games. Like, there are teams that are bad, and then there are teams that just don't know how to win yet. And I've watched the Pistons because they play the Knicks a couple times back to back, you know. So, when you watch your team, you watch them. So, I watch the Pistons, and then I watch their scores against other teams, and they're not like just totally getting destroyed. But he's one of those players that if you have another piece, like Luka Doncic was drafted into the right team. You know, like like if you get this guy Kade with the right players, I think it's easier for him to transition than a, like 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 Charlie said, a Mosley. Because with Mosley, if you don't have good guard play, your bigs ain't gonna be able to do nothing. So no matter how good he is, he needs a good guard play. I mean, James Wiseman and Mosley were kind of comparable in terms of plays, even though James Wiseman didn't play last season except for five games, and James Wiseman is still having to learn. But when you get a Kade Cunningham who's like, like I said. 10%, highest 10% of isolations. And every scouting report, he's the top guy that you have to stop. You put him in the NBA with that type of pressure, I think he's he's the one friend, one of the franchise players that you can look at in this in this uh, NCAA tournament. And hopefully he plays more than one game so we get to see him play against some, some of the top players. Chuck? Uh, I agree. I think Cunningham was the most obvious choice, but since we already mentioned him, I wanted to go a little bit, you know, off record and bring up uh, Mosley. Um, I'm trying to think of who who else. Um, I can't really. really Lucky, yeah, but in reality, the way college basketball works, you see maybe one. I like, go if there's one legit franchise guy, that's a good draft class. Like last year, there was not any. The year before, it's Zion and Ja, which are two. You see multiple years where there's not really anybody. I mean, the year Lonzo got drafted, the only one that ended up being a legit franchise player is Jason Tatum. So, like, you see time and time again, 2016, can you say Ben Simmons is that guy? I mean, that's really all you get at in some of these draft classes. It's like you really get one, maybe two, and then you just happen to have those fluke drafts, the 1984 draft, the 2003 drafts, where you get four guys. But, I mean, you're never going to really see that a year after year. I think if you're, you're lucky, you get one or two, and there's plenty of years you won't see any. I think one guy who is raw but could develop in the right situation is Dosumu out of Illinois. I really like his game. He has a nice jump shot, could handle the ball with ease. He has excellent height and length, and that's pretty much what you need to be a successful, you know, either point or wing player in the NBA. So I think with him, if he comes out this year, and he's probably going to go within the top 10, I would assume. If he goes into the right situation with the right coaching staff to kind of fix up a little bit of his game, especially with the ball handling, and kind of slows him down. Because I feel like when he brings the ball up, he sometimes gets too erratic and doesn't really know what he wants to do with the ball. I think if he could develop 
he he could become a superstar. Brandon, I, I'd just like to say also, um, to me, it's not really – I really don't even really watch for, like, the top three guys because they're going to bad teams. Those teams aren't going to have a shot to win the championship the next year. You know, it's not going to happen. So, for me, it's like, who's one of the top players that's going to go 7 to 10 to a team that just missed out on the playoffs, to a team that may need a piece and, and can get another player via free agency and, 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 and are going to compete? That, that's the players who we see more make a difference. Yeah, but it's not necessarily, it's not, this isn't football where you have the worst record, you get the number one pick. I mean, the Pelicans are still, the Pelicans were in the bubble last year and they had the number one pick with Zion. So it's, it's like, it's not necessarily just because you have the worst record, you get the top pick. I mean, the Knicks get the rough end of the stick every single year in the, in the draft. I mean, they should get the number one pick and they always get the three. They got the eight last year, even though they should have a better draft pick. So it's not necessarily about your team record. I mean, the Teals are the uh, the worst team in the NBA right now. That doesn't mean they're getting the number one pick. They can end up getting the uh, this, the fifth pick for all we know. The Knicks, the Knicks got the eight, but those years people don't remember. The Knicks weren't the see. People always have this mindset: the Knicks were not the worst team in the league. Like that. That's like like you like they weren't a uh, clear by twenty nineteen. They were. They weren't the worst team in the league. They were tied at the Cavs for the worst record in the league. The year they drafted Barrett that year. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, got we, got yeah so we got three. Yeah, we got the three pick. Yeah, I'm said that's why I said. And the year after they got the three pick, they still had to get some trades and still had to figure it out. And they were right back at the eighth pick. Now this is where the eighth pick makes sense because now when you get a person like Obi, imagine. And I, I'm not saying anything bad about Obi, but imagine if Obi would say Halliburton, and the Knicks struggle at point guard, and you picked o Halliburton at that number eight pick, and now the Knicks are a little bit better. That's what I mean. Like, like those three, the guys who are going to be in the top three, we're not going to really be talking about them except for stats. Like, right now, we're not talking about James Wiseman. We're not talking about uh, who the other – who was the first pick last year? Anthony, Edward, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards. Edwards. We're talking about his highlight dunks. We're not talking about their teams. Nobody's talking about the, the, the Timberwolves. We're talking about the Warriors because of injuries, and we know they still got Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and those guys. But we're talking about those teams that are making pushes. That we're, like the Knicks are in a playoff push to be talked about. So we're going to talk about who they drafted, which is Obi. What is he doing? Imagine if uh, uh, next year another team that's finally in the playoffs gets a Scotty Barnes. Say Scotty Barnes slips to eight, and now you get a six-nine wing who can start for your team on a playoff contender already. That's what makes your team better. The lottery picks are going to be – we're going to talk about them in three to four years for the guys who go top three. They're not really, we're not going to really see a big difference in their teams the first two years unless they get crazy free agency, which really never happens. Nobody's going to Minnesota. Nobody's signing to go to Houston. Nobody's signing to go to Detroit. That's just the, the, the honest opinion of those teams. Chuck, anything to add? You know, talking about OB and uh, Tyrese and everything, I think it goes back to what we just, you know, talked about with Garza and everything. Like, these players are phenomenal in college, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their game is going to translate to the NBA. So now you have the casual fans who are going to tune in, you know, starting uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and whatever, who are going to see a couple of these guys, you know, get sucked in by, you know, being a big name and watching, you know, a couple of highlight dunks. And then they're going to want their team to draft them on draft night. And then they're going to turn out to be a flop. I'm not saying any of these current guys that just got drafted are flops, but Nick fans didn't want Tyrese because Obi was, you know, Obi national player of the year could 
dunk like crazy when Tyrese was a better play because he he's a guard and that's what the Knicks needed. Imagine Tyrese coming off the bench right now or even starting in the lineup. You know what I mean? He had the fundamentals that translated to the NBA. You know, three-point shooting, could handle the ball, doesn't need to be, you know, a scorer. So I think that's what we get sucked into is, you know, and I think Coach is correct. You know, having these guys who fall down lower in the draft are key because they're going to go and they're going to go help a team. Now, I know Tyrese isn't really helping the Kings because the Kings are, you know, terrible overall. But that's what happens with these players. They get overlooked by these, you know, the big names, and then they fall to really good, you know, playoff contenders, and that's where they excel. One one last thing before we wrap up. Make your final four predictions and a winner. Coach? Final four predictions and a winner. All right. My final four predictions, I'm going to take hmm, – this is tough. All right, I'm gonna go Ohio State coming out the south, out of the Midwest. I like Illinois. I know it's a little chalky. You know, it's, it's a number one and a number two seed, but kill me if you want to. Out of the East, I'm gonna go with Florida State. Uh, yeah, Florida State gets to the Final Four out of the East and out of the West. Uh, I just don't think anybody is beating Gonzaga in the West. The only team that I would love to see a good game from them is I would love to see Iowa against Gonzaga in a rematch game. And in that game, I'll root for either or. But those are my final four picks. Gonzaga, Florida State, Ohio State, and uh, Illinois. Chuck, final four. All right. So this is just off the top of my head because I haven't really do. You know, when I haven't really <laughs> looked into the matchups into detail yet, I'm going to go with Gonzaga in the West. Um, I'm going to go with Purdue in the South. Um, I'm going to go with Florida State in the East. And I'm going to go with West Virginia in the Midwest. And then for the final, I'm going to take Gonzaga against Florida State with Gonzaga winning. Interesting. All right, that's going to wrap up today's show. Coach. Baldy, always a pleasure to talk sports to you. Thanks, you guys, for coming on. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.